This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, September 26th. And now, please rise for the singing of our Welcome to episode 70 of the A Foot in the Box podcast. My name is Peter Elliott. And I'm Paul Elliott. This is a weekly baseball podcast. Paul and I live in Champaign, Illinois, and we are twin brothers. Uh, so this is a unique week. Uh, on Monday, we did a uh, Jose Fernandez tribute podcast, and um, this podcast, which will come out, I think, on Thursday, we're actually recording earlier in the week. Um, so we apologize if um, we're not crazy on top of baseball current events. But um, this podcast is mainly just our uh, 2016 awards mm-hmm. and then also a tribute to Vince Scully and Dick Enberg, who are retiring at the end of the season. Um, before we do begin, though, I just wanted to say uh, we do have a Nelly update. Um, last week, we talked about how his IRS debt um supposed supposed irs debt was very high and that there was a lot of people on the internet uh hashtag save nelly that were trying to uh stream all of his music uh to um get nelly the money to pay off this debt so based on my calculations his songs were only streamed six thousand times this past week which <laughs> how, how much money do you think wait so, so is that spotify data i just from accessible from, from the well from the totals that the different Publication said like he needed two hundred eighty-seven million one hundred seventy-six thousand streams right. to make the money, and he still needs two hundred eighty-seven million one hundred seventy. Oh, you just subtracted streams, yeah. So how much do you think six thousand streams got him in cash? Uh, I'll say he made five hundred bucks, eighty-six dollars. Wow, yeah. Uh, so more information's come out. The IRS debt is reportedly two point four million dollars, and he's doing a lot of things to try to make this money up, including an overseas tour um, and some other reality TV shows. But those are those are for future weeks. We won't talk about those now. We just wanted to give you the update. Uh, if you want to save Nelly and his his uh, fortune, you got a lot of work to do. A lot of work to do. Paul, do you have anything before we get into the awards? I do not. Let's jump in. Okay. So uh, first, let's revisit our 2016 playoff predictions, team predictions. Um, do you want to go first, Paul? Uh, sure. Yeah. So I was pretty surprised. I went back and listened to that episode. It's nuts that I went 0 for 5 last year. I thought you had... Didn't you get one? I thought you got the Blue Jays or somebody. I'm pretty sure I was 0 for 5. Okay. That's pretty hard to do. Um, but my preseason predictions for this year... The division winners I had were the Mariners in the West, uh, who I think I'm going to have to drop next year. <laughs> they failed me the last two years. <laughs> Mariners in the West, the Indians in the Central, which I was right about, and the Red Sox in the East, which I was also right about. And my wildcard teams were the Blue Jays and the Royals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was three for five, missed on the Royals and missed on the Mariners. Yep, and then the National League I had... The Dodgers, Cubs, and Nationals 
as division winners, which three for three. Right. This is two years in a row uh, that I'm crushing you. And then the wild card, I had the Giants and Pirates. So the Giants might make the playoffs. So I could be four for five, but I also could be three for five if the mm-hmm. Cardinals and um, Mets make it. Um, so both, I would say, above average in our predictions. Yeah, I didn't go back and look at, like look to see what ESPN or um, Baseball Prospectus had, but I would imagine that we're right in line with them. National League is much easier to predict. Yes. Division-wise. There are also no, barring the Orioles, you know, there were no um, huge, like, shockers mm-hmm. in terms of playoff teams. Yeah, definitely in the, in the National League, that's true. Um, all right, let's get into awards. I will say, before we jump into awards, our official A Foot in the Box World Series pick at the beginning of the year is very much in play, and probably what um, most people would predict, which was the Cubs over the Red Sox. Mm-hmm. So, just yeah. a little... A plug for us, I guess. <laughs> All right, let's do MVP first. Uh, my National League MVP is... Chris Bryant. That's correct. Had a slash line as of earlier this week. 295, 388, 561, 38 home runs, and a baseball reference war of 7.4. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there wasn't a super strong you know, runner-up to mm-hmm. him. And the Cubs are by far the best team in in the National League. And Bryant is, by all accounts, the best player on that team. And um, because there's no Mike Trout-type player anywhere else, I went with Chris Bryant. Uh, I think if um, you made a case for Corey Seager or Freddie Freeman even or Daniel Murphy, like I could could probably buy into that if you showed me some advanced stats. Mm -hmm. But to be honest, I didn't put in a ton of time to look into those. So... Bryant has the highest war of any player in the National League. And uh, as the Thunder rolls here in Champaign, um, you know, best player on the best team, no clear runner-up, Chris Bryant's my MVP. Uh, and, and if you look back, my preseason prediction was Andrew McCutcheon. Mm. So swing and a miss there. The foot in the box jinx. Yeah. Um, my MVP, as you alluded to, is Mike Trout. Um, I frankly just don't see an argument uh, for any other player. So, um, you know, if you just look at war, he's the clear favorite. He leads both, or he leads the American League in both baseball reference war and fangraphs war. And it's not, not that close. Again, we're recording this early in the week. So unless something crazy happens, it's not that close. Um, this is probably the hardest it's rained on a podcast before. Yeah, I am recording near a window. So I'm hoping that, um, a bolt of lightning doesn't go through and get me. Does that happen through windows? Maybe. I feel like they say not to shower when it's there's a. Anyways, uh, so he it has nothing to do with a window, but it can get into a house somehow. Okay. Or, anyways, so yeah, uh, Trout leads in war. So if you're just looking at war, it's a clear favorite. I understand that some people don't like war. Or, What's his war up to? Uh, it was eight point nine. Okay. Some people don't like war, or it can be a little misleading in terms of defense. But, you know, the people that argue that say that Mookie Betts should should be the MVP. But uh, Trout gets on base far more than Betts. Um, Trout, his on-base percentage is 437, which is by far and away the best in the American League. Uh, he also has a higher slugging percentage. So he gets on base more, hits for more power, and has more stolen bases than Betts. Betts might be a slightly better defender. 
but I just don't think that makes up for the difference on offense. Um, if David Ortiz played defense well, then I could maybe see Ortiz. Ortiz has a better OPS than Trout, um, but he's a DH and he doesn't play defense. And Trout is an above average defender and steals a lot of bases. So my MVP is Mike Trout, and uh, I'm pretty hard line on that. I just don't see a a better option. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you have like a top three runner up or? Uh, I'd I'd go um, Trout, Betts, Altuve. Okay. Yeah, I think my ballot would be Chris Bryant, Corey Seager, Anthony Rizzo, Freddie Freeman. <laughs> Had to get your Freddie Freeman plug He's in there. He's very good. Very, Had a very good year. Good. I don't know if he'd be oh. that high. Okay, moving on to Cy Young. Um, as I alluded to on Monday, my Cy Young pick is Jose Fernandez. Um. He was definitely a candidate for it, but um, I'm mostly voting for him because of uh, you know, the service as a way to honor his legacy. And uh, I think he would have won a Cy Young had he um, not passed away. And so um, that is that is my vote. Uh, Stats-wise this year, 253 strikeouts and 182 innings and a 16-8 and eight record. So pretty good stats. Who do you think will be who, – who would have been your – Cy Young vote if uh, I think had, probably Kershaw. Yeah. Um, Hendricks leads in ERA. Correct? Yeah, I my ballot probably would be Fernandez, um, Fernandez, Kershaw, Lester would be my top three. Hmm. But that's a good question. Who do you think is going to win the AL MVP? Uh, Trout. You think he's going to? Yeah. That's a pretty big upset. My money would be on bets right now. Think so. Yep. Um, I just think the other guys will. We talked about this last week, the week before. I think the other guys will split votes. Mm-hmm. Uh, my AL Cy Young, as much as I want to go with Chris Sale, um, I just can't justify it based on the numbers. So I'm going with Rick Porcello. Um, Rick Porcello. Rick Porcello. <laughs> you could go with a few different guys, in my opinion. Wow. Uh, not Sale. Um, you could also go with Corey Kluber or Tanaka from the Yankees. My case for Porcello, so he leads the American League in whip, so no one prevents mm. base runners as much as he does, 0.98. Um, he's the only guy under one. Uh, he's third in ERA, but he's third behind Fulmer and Tanaka, both of whom just narrowly edge him out and haven't pitched as many innings. Mm-hmm. And then he's second in the American League in park-adjusted ERA, just narrowly edged out by Kluber. Um, so Michael Fulmer actually leads the American League in ERA, but like I said, hasn't pitched as many innings as um, Porcello or Kluber, and uh, also pitches in a better, more um, pitcher-friendly park. So Rick Porcello is my candidate, and again, this is barring any uh, you know terrible start later yeah. in the week. I'm looking at his stats. Last year, he had a 4.92 ERA. It's an amazing story. Yeah, yeah. They Red Sox got um, Ben Charrington. Uh, general manager last year he got fired he uh, took it pretty hard for signing him to a long contract uh, but it's looking like that was probably the the good move there definitely do you think he will win the award uh, i think kluber will probably win i don't know Porcello has 22 wins 22 and four all right uh moving on to rookie of the year this one's pretty easy in the national league Corey seager uh, who is my preseason prediction and also the, my midseason um, award winner. 
has continued to be consistent. 310 average, 370 on base, and a 514 slugging. Like I talked about at the All-Star break, that 514 slugging is higher than Harper when he won Rookie of the Year, Bryant when he won Rookie of the Year, um, Buster Posey when he he won when he won Rookie of the Year. Uh, so it's a very impressive thing for any player to do, let alone a shortstop that plays pretty good defense on uh, a division winner. So Corey Seager is my pick. Run, who, runners up, Trey Turner, who has made a strong run at it here in September. Uh, Trevor Story, who I forgot about mm-hmm. because of the injury. Uh, and then two pitchers, John Gray and Kenta Maeda. Maeda has been very good. Yeah. I feel like that's an underrated storyline going into the playoffs. He's probably their number two. Three. Well, if, I mean, if Rich Hill is healthy. Right. Kershaw, Hill, Maeda. Yeah, I agree. Sigur is probably the help unanimous, I would assume. Uh, yeah. Um, my rookie of the year is Michael Fulmer. Um, again, I would or understand. Gary Sanchez. Yeah, I would understand if people went with Gary Sanchez here. My case for Fulmer is just that it's it's more difficult, more challenging for a rookie to have sustained success. Um, so Sanchez has been incredible. He's performed better than Fulmer, but he's only done it for um, around 200 at-bats, 200 plate appearances. Um, Sanchez leads AL rookies in home runs, on-base percentage, slugging, basically any offensive stat. But like I said, he's only done it for 200 plate appearances. Fulmer, on the other hand, leads... Uh, American League pitchers in ERA, and he's done it for 155 innings, um, right in the middle of a playoff chase too. So to me, that's just slightly more impressive than what Sanchez has done. Um, I think you saw, you know, Tyler Naquin, uh, outfielder for the Indians, came up and was insanely good, similar to Sanchez, but has regressed. I think if if Sanchez had been up the whole year, he obviously wouldn't be producing like he has now, which is kind of at a historic level. So. For that reason, I'm going Michael Fulmer. All right. Uh, so our award winners, Chris Bryant, Jose Fernandez, Corey Seager, Trout, Porcello, and Fulmer. All right, moving on to most surprising and most disappointing team. My most surprising team is the Dodgers. And like I said at the beginning, uh, these are somewhat difficult in the National League because teams pretty much played how we thought they would. Uh, so the most surprising, I had the Dodgers – Suffered a ton of injuries this year, uh, and are going to win, you know, ninety-three to ninety-five games. Uh, they had fifteen pitchers start a game. Paul, how many of those fifteen can you name? Oh boy, um, I mean at least five, right? Uh, Rich Hill, Clayton Kershaw, Kent Maeda, um, McCarthy ever start a game? Yes, eight starts. Um, lefty uh, Brett Anderson. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Ross Stripling. Yep. Uh, Brock something or other. Um, Brock Stewart. Brock Stewart. That may be two good rookies. Two good. Oh, uh, Julio uh, Urias. Yes. And Urias, Urias, and um, another Hispanic fellow. I can't remember his name. Jose De Leon. Yep. Uh, you didn't mention Scott Casimir. Ah, twenty-six guy. starts. Alex Wood, ten starts. Bud Norris, Mike Bolsinger, and uh, Hai Jin Ru. Is that how you pronounce that? Mm-hmm. 
Only one start. And then Nick Tepes, T-E-P-E-S-C-H, one start. So a ton of injuries, but uh, Dave Roberts would be my manager of the year as well. Uh, has kept them together. And with all the Puig stuff, uh, yeah, has done a, a really good job. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. You're right. I was like going through my head here just thinking about National League teams and um, I'm, I guess I was surprised in a negative way, which we'll talk about most disappointing team here in a minute that the Cardinals weren't better, hmm. but, uh, my most surprising team in the American league is the Orioles. Um, you could maybe go with the Rangers, but I just think no one thought the Orioles were going to be a playoff team. Um, and there's really no way to explain them as a success. Like their pitching is, is awful. Um, their starters rank 14th in ERA in the American League. Uh, two guys, uh, Ibaldo Jimenez and Giovanni Garro, both fixtures on their staff have ERAs approaching five and a half. Yet somehow they're in contention for the second wildcard spot. They've kind of been the front runner for that second wildcard spot the whole second half. Um, guys like Mark Trembo, 44 homers um, through Sunday. Um, Pedro Alvarez, 22 homers in limited playing time. Just they've had a bunch of guys step up on offense. Um, their bullpen's been pretty good. Um, you know, Zach Britton's had an amazing year. So um, for me, they're the kind of the clear favorite for uh, for most surprising team. And it'll be amazing to see a guy like Jimenez uh, get a playoff start if they you know win the wild card game, having an ERA of like five point four. My most disappointing team is the Giants again. You could probably say Diamondbacks, but I feel like everyone that is informed about baseball knew that they weren't going to be very good. Uh, same thing with, I guess, maybe the Twins in the American League. But there's just very few teams that expected to be good this year that that weren't at least playoff contenders. Uh, but the Giants were 57-33 and 33 at the All-Star break, best record in the National League. And since then, they are 25-40 and 40 and really didn't have that many injuries. To, to deal with um, all their pitchers stayed healthy. Um, recently, they've had a few with Crawford and um, Cueto, but Pence was out for a little while. That yeah, him. but not. I mean, pretty normal. Yeah, compared like compared to the Dodgers, Posey never got hurt. Baumgartner never got hurt. Uh, Samarja was healthy. Um, so yeah, disappointing year for the Giants. Yeah, I tend to agree with that one. Um, in the American League, I'm going Royals. Uh, I projected them to be a playoff team at the beginning of the year noting that they probably get somewhere around 87 wins and uh they're on pace to be right around 500 um so not a huge disappointment like from my vantage point but i think um from like your average fan and like from the royals as a defending world series winner like they thought they were gonna be a um playoff contender so uh, I would say the Royals, and even if you know they could point to injuries too, they've lost Ustakis, they've lost uh, Kane, um, they've lost starters. So they could point to injuries too. But even if you dig a little bit deeper in the numbers, like um, I just looked up a few guys like Hosmer, Kane, and Gordon year to year, um, they've all dropped significantly. Hosmer's dropped thirty points in both on base percentage and slugging. Lorenzo Kane dropped ninety points in OPS. Alex Gordon, who they gave a big contract to, um, has become more or less an average left fielder. His OPS was 690 this year. So um, they just don't, yeah, don't strike fear in, in um, 
me as a White Sox fan anymore. I think they'll probably be like this for the next few years, right around 500. Yeah, but Ian Kennedy was not very good this year. He actually he had a rebound in the second half. Really? Yeah. They, I mean, they have had some bright spots, like Salvador Perez will probably win Silver Slugger. Who cares? And um, Duffy, Danny Duffy yeah. has turned into a ace. So they have had some bright spots, but... Mm-hmm. Yep, and all this stuff will be on our blog uh, later this week, so check that out if you're wanting to see all this in written form. Um, those were our 2016 awards. Um, next up, we're going to honor Vince Scully and Dick Enberg. Yeah, so as Pete mentioned, uh, we're going to just take a moment here and um, commemorate, memorialize uh, two legends. Ben Scully and Dick Emberg. And uh, it's interesting because they're actually very good friends. Mm-hmm. And they both have spent their careers, or the majority of their careers, on the uh, West Coast. Mm-hmm. Enberg with the Padres and um, Scully with the Dodgers. Um, both are, are retiring after really long careers. Um, Scully, 67 years. And Enberg, I don't have the number in front of me, but um, I believe to be near that. <laughs> well, he's 81 years old and he's done a variety of things. Right. Um, yeah, so I guess we can get into each one a little bit. Uh, with Scully, he turns 89 in November, and he started with the Dodgers at the age of 22 in 1950. So, yeah, like you said, 67 years of, of broadcasting Dodger games. Uh, he started when the Dodgers were, of course, in Brooklyn mm-hmm. in 1950, and then they played uh, eight years in Brooklyn before they moved to Los Angeles. Scully moved with them to Los Angeles um, and has been the voice of the, the Dodgers there ever since. Uh, October 2nd, 1936. Do you know what happened on this day, Paul? Um, that wasn't the day that Emberg was born. Nope. Or it could be, I guess. Uh, I have no idea. So Scully uh, was a young lad in uh, New York City. And he walked by a laundromat that had the World Series on. It was game two of the 1936 World Series. The Yankees beat the Giants, the New York Giants at that time, 18-4. to And he heard the, the roar of the crowd and um, knew from that point forward that he wanted to be a, a hmm. broadcaster. What's uh, great about that day, October 2nd, is that his last game uh, ever broadcasting will be against the Giants at AT&T Park in San Francisco on October 2nd. So 80 years to the day from when that happened. Mm-hmm. So that means a lot to him. Uh, I've heard in, in different interviews. Uh, Scully served two years in the U.S. Navy during World War II. Uh, he graduated from Fordham University in New York City. And then once he graduated, he sent letters to 150 radio stations, just received one response, uh, was radio station in uh, New York, uh, Red Barber, famous Hall of Fame announcer, uh, mentored Scully from that point forward. And at 25, because of a contract dispute between Barber and uh, whoever was uh, had the rights to the radio for the World Series that year, uh, Scully called the 1953 World Series. So at our age, 25, he was calling the World Series on the radio. It's insane. We'll get into this in a second, but um, uh, Enberg was actually doing uh, play-by-play for Indiana basketball and football during graduate school, which hmm. nowadays would just be unheard of. Yeah. Yep. 
Uh, one last note on Scully. He called 26 no-hitters. Crazy. I couldn't name one of them. <laughs> like, how? yeah, I mean, you certainly couldn't name 26. I might have a chance at it, but he called 26 no-hitters. Uh, the last one was Kershaw, mm-hmm. uh, 2014. And I remember staying up late to watch that. Not really because of him, but because of Kershaw. All right, moving on to Dick Enberg. He is 81 years old. He was born in Michigan, uh, went to college at Central Michigan, and then Indiana, like you you mentioned. Um, some highlights from his career that I found in an article this morning. He was a big tennis broadcaster, called 28 different uh, Wimbledons, uh, covered 10 Super Bowls, uh, calling eight, one as a host, and one for radio. He was selected nine times as National Sportscaster of the Year. He also covered nine Rose Bowls. Uh, eight was the number of NCAA championships he called as the play-by-play voice at UCLA. And he appeared in six movies. Gus, Two Minute Warning, Heaven Can Wait, The Long Shot, The Naked Gun, Mr. 3000. And he also appeared in several TV shows, uh, The King of Queens and CSI New York. So hmm. possibly a future yeah. baseball and TV. He also covered four Olympics. Um, so did a wide variety of things, but the last several years was a Padres TV announcer. Um, and both these guys are in the Hall of Fame. Both won the Ford mm-hmm. uh, C. Frick Award. Scully won it like 30 years ago. Right. Enberg won it last year. Um, I yeah. uh, This may be a hot take, but I personally like uh, uh, Dick Enberg's voice. And like the tone and the tenor of his voice a little bit more than Scully's. Wow. Um, but I, Scully is set apart, I think, as a legend because of the way he can tell mm-hmm. stories and no verbal fillers. Yeah. Ever. It's amazing. Ever. He like knows exactly what he's gonna say. And it's even more amazing because he doesn't get to rest. He's a one man show. Mm-hmm. So talking three hours every night, uh, with what I just with no ums or us is yeah. incredible. Yep. Okay, uh, so we are going to end this segment by listening to their acceptance speeches for the Ford C. Frick Award in Cooperstown. So first we'll do Scully, and then right after that we'll do a snippet from uh, Mr. Enberg. Commissioner, distinguished members of the dais, and ladies and gentlemen, I guess a vital portion of the human existence is when man is visited with misfortune. He invariably will look his eyes to the heavens and say, why me? Why, with the millions and millions of people in this world, am I asked to carry a cross? And yet, if I'm to be honest with you and with myself today, I have to ask the same question when good fortune comes my way. Why me? Why, with the millions and millions of more deserving people, Would a red-haired kid with a hole in his pants and his shirt tail hanging out playing stickball in the streets of New York wind up in Cooperstown? Why me indeed? I don't have the answer to either question for either situation, but I do know how I feel. I want to sing, I want to dance, I want to laugh, I want to shout. I want to cry, and I'd like to pray. I'd like to pray with humility and with great thanksgiving. I have a lot of thanks to give. I would like to thank my parents, 
I'd like to thank my wonderful wife and children who pay the bill of loneliness and separation while I'm away. I'd like to thank Red Barber and Connie Desmond who cared about that skinny red-headed kid 33 years ago and made sure that he would do reasonably well. I would like to thank my partners today, Jerry Doggett and Ross Porter. I would like to thank the O'Malley family, to Walter and Kay, bless them both, and to Peter and to Terry. I would like to thank the writers who have been more than generous to me over the years. I'd like to thank the Dodgers, both Brooklyn and Los Angeles, and all of the people along the way. And I'd like to conclude with a story. There is a legend in the West of an Indian chief who was wont to test the manhood of his young braves by making them climb up the side of a mountain as far as they could in a single day. And at daybreak on the appointed day, four braves left the village. The first one came back in the late afternoon with a sprig of spruce to show how high he had climbed. Later that afternoon, Another came with a branch of pine, and much later in the day, the third came with an alpine shrub. But it wasn't until late that night, by a full moon with the stars dancing in the heavens, that the fourth brave arrived. What did you bring back? How high did you climb? asked the chief. And the brave said, where I was, there was no spruce nor pine to shield me from the sun. There was no flower to cheer my path. There was only snow and ice and barren rocks and cold, hard ground. My feet are torn and bloodied. I'm worn out and exhausted. I'm barehanded, and I have come home late. But, and then a wondrous look came into his eye, and he said, I saw the sea. For 33 years, the good Lord has allowed me to do what I've always wanted to do, broadcast my favorite game. He has allowed me to climb my mountain. And today, thanks to the Ford C. Frick Award, I thank you for sharing this moment with me, because believe me, today, I saw the sea. Thank you. This is why I love baseball. I love the distinct sounds a ball makes against ball and glove. The calls of umpires and concessionaires. Announcer punct punctuation calls. Oh, doctor, well, how about that? And the holies, holy cow, holy mackerel, and holy Toledo. Actually, that does make sense. The game is religion. Hey, I've worked for the Angels and Padres. <laughs> And Lord knows in the course of a season, we all pray a lot. I find great joy in its poetry, continuing to marvel at baseball's strengths and subtleties and sober disappointments, each with a challenge to call it right. The perfect interception of a laser line drive by a geometrically correct outfielder and sometimes the daring dive to accomplish the mission the exultant cacophony of the crowd in a walk-off win, the extraordinary drama 
of late innings building to a no-hitter. I might add personally that that is, in my entire career, the single most exciting assignment, calling a no-hit, no-run game. And thank you, Nolan Ryan, and thank you, Dennis Eckersley, for allowing me that privilege. I loved acknowledging the subtle arrogance of Hall of Famer Rod Carew's drag bunt. Tony Gwynn's mastery of an inside-out missile deftly directed through the 5.5 hole. The sleight of hand of Brooks Robinson magically reducing doubles into 5-3 putouts. The towering arc of a Ted Williams mortar shot deposited in the bleachers high. The classic confrontation of the best hitter against the best pitcher and the immaculately executed ballet of a double play. I love the double play. As the song goes, these are just a few of my favorite things. And you know, it doesn't end there. Baseball never ends there. That's why we embrace it. We share it and score it, play it, and honor it. It's a generational game, connecting us gloriously with the past and heading us toward the future. All right, so thanks again to Vince Scully, Dick Enberg. Thanks for all the time you've spent in baseball. Best of luck in retirement, however many years God gives you to live. All right, so to end the podcast, just a few quick things. Don't have our normal segments this week because um, it's, it's getting to be playoff time. So a few things I wanted to put on your radar. One is the blogathon that we're doing, uh, and this is coming out on Thursday. So we're you, smack dab in the middle of it. Yes. So hopefully you've seen a blog post from us, blog post from us each day. But if you haven't, go check out afootinthebox.com. Um, number two, playoff preview. Two episodes coming your way uh, later this week. One will come out on Sunday nights, uh, and that's going to feature an expert that breaks down each of the ten playoff teams. And the second podcast will come out the Tuesday morning, the playoffs start. So about six days from when this podcast comes out. And that'll be Paul and I's personal predictions, storylines, etc. And that'll be, like I said, the morning of the playoffs start. The AL wildcard game will be played on that Tuesday. Last thing I want to mention, it's our foot in the box playoff bash. Uh, Paul, I don't think I've told you this yet. This is my idea for the game that we're going to play, the fantasy game we're going to play. Uh, so you have to pick a player from each team, each of the 10 teams, and uh, you have to pick 10 position players, so a DH and then three outfielders and then third, short, second, first, catcher. Um, or I guess it's nine, nine position players. And then four starting pitchers, five relievers, so in total nine pitchers, nine position players, and the, the team that you know wins like a traditional fantasy type uh, will win $50. But it's like... Uh, You're not going to ask where that money comes from? Uh, I assume we have a sponsor. <laughs> so if it's one of our listeners that wins, we each will give them $25. But if one of us wins, you have to pay... You know, If I win, you have to pay me $25. Sure. I pay you $25. That's Yes, that's fine. Uh, so it's like the All-Star game where you have a representative from... You have to draft someone from mm-hmm. each team? Yes. But then for some, you're going to have more than... Yeah, it's not... Perfect. You at least have to pick one from each team, but you will select multiple from various teams. Very good. 
All right. Well, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Make sure to leave us a review there. Uh, you can send us emails at afootinthebox at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at afootinthebox. Uh, you can also check us out online at afootinthebox.com. That's where you'll find all the, the info for the playoff bash. Well, I think that does it, uh, Paul. Uh, excited for the playoffs and um, yeah, excited to cover it as a podcast. Ditto. Just a reminder, folks, keep a foot in the box. We'll talk to you in a few days. So hot and hurt. So hot and hurt.